Hi, welcome to Coast Hills Church Weekend Online Sermon by Pastor Chet Lowe. We invite you to attend our services on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. Our address is 5 Pursuit, Lisa Viejo, California, 92656. We hope to see you soon, and God bless. Would you remain standing as we honor God in his word? Uh, we'll find ourselves in John chapter 17, verse 20. If you need a Bible, there should be one right in the seat back pocket in front of you. If not, you can follow along on the screen behind me. John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus continues his prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be, even, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me, Father. I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Would you pray with me? Lord, truly, probably no other word needs to be said because this prayer is your heart for your people. And Lord, even as we discuss today in Upstream, the importance of the body to be one because we are one in Christ. That you would, by love, which is the bond of perfection, unite Coast Hills Church and each church that calls on your name as Savior and Lord. Father, our hearts are heavy. We see the impact of hatred. I pray once again for those families. And Lord, we humbly ask, be the God of all comfort. And Savior, I pray that this church would have an impact of love. With those that you place in front of us, with the mission that you've given us, let our banner be love. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You have your seat. And as you are sitting down, finding your way, you want to open your Bible to John chapter 17 as we continue our study, as well as Ephesians chapter 4. John chapter 17, keep your finger as well in Ephesians chapter 4. Title of our message today Go Team. Go Team. John chapter 17, our scripture reading started in verse 20, but we need to set some context in regards to what's going on with the disciples. They're anxious. They're worried. In fact, we can say they're afraid. 
And so Jesus, he leads them to God in prayer. And once again, he's setting an example. He's living the example that when you're anxious, that we should pray. That's what Paul said. Don't be anxious for anything. But use that emotion to remind you to get to prayer so that you can experience the peace of God that passes understanding. Now, Jesus, he has accomplished the work that God had given him to do. And Jesus now wants to be with his father. And this want to be with the father thing is really making the disciples a little bit nervous. Look back again at John 17, verse 4 and 5. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He, he's ready to go home. It's like a soldier. A soldier who has completed the mission or or completed the responsibility of their commanding officer, and now they're ready to go home for a little R&R, a little rest and relaxation. Jesus wants to be with the Father. He's leaving, so he prays for them. And he prays for them so they can hear his heart, because out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. He prays for them so that they can hear the will of the Father. He prays for their security. He says, keep them from the evil one. He doesn't want the disciples to go the way of the world. So he wants the father to protect them the way that he has protected them. And he and the father are one. He prays for their sanctification, for their sanctity, that they would learn the word of God, that they would know the truth, and that they would live the truth of the word of God. We talked about last week the very fact that we can't do faith the way that we want to do faith. We can do faith the way that pleases God. The result? Oh, briefly, we mentioned it last week. Look at verse 20. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who will believe in me. Now, remember in John chapter 11, you don't need to turn there. In John chapter 11, maybe you want to write it down in your notes, Jesus is about to call Lazarus from the grave, and he's praying. And he says, Father, I'm praying, not that I don't think you don't hear me. I know you hear me. You hear everything I say. In other words, I'm only praying prayers that I know that you will answer because I'm in line with your will. But I'm praying so that everybody can hear. So when we've got a recorded prayer of Jesus, it's so that we can all hear and learn something about the direction of our faith. Well, the disciples, they're being given a mission. The disciples, we are being given a mission. That mission, to proclaim the word of God. Not only what Jesus said, but the way that Jesus said it, the life that Jesus chose to live. And Jesus had set the example. He, he told them what to say by giving them parables and the Sermon on the Mount and different areas of Scripture when they came and said, oh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus gave the word of God so that we have the word to live by. But it wasn't just a matter just of what Jesus said. No, it's how he said it. He won over Nicodemus by how he said it. Children would, were not afraid of Jesus. They would run to him and they would sit on his lap. So he's giving them the direction, not just simply in what he said, but how he said it. Don't forget, not only did he give them the word, but he washed their feet. 
back in this first century world, uh, there were no lights. There were no guitars, no fanfare festivals, no carnivals, no Christmas celebrations, no special events. The word of God spread throughout the entire known world in one generation because these people were committed to telling everyone around them by the word and the life that they chose to live that Jesus is alive. And it spread throughout the whole world. No wonder Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. Let's take, for example, USC fans. Whether winning or losing, (laughs) they're still chanting. They're still proclaiming the word. They're still shouting, fight on. There is something in that stadium that's electric, whether winning or losing, the power of the word, that if you're on the fence one way or the other, I guarantee by the power of that word, you're going to swing to the USC side, whether they won or lost. And they lost. John 17, 21, thank God the word is more powerful than their chant. He says in verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world, underline this, may believe that you have sent me. The way of the word, the power of the word, the power of the gospel of which Paul was not ashamed, which changed the entire face of the first century world, that power through the disciples' word, other people joined the team. And the way Jesus says it in John 17, 21, that they may be in us, that they might be on the team. Well, I'm on the team. Well, if you're on the team, you've got to follow what the coach is directing you to do. I used to coach flag football when my kids were five and six years old. Micaiah was five, much more interested in the cheerleaders, and AJ was six. And Micaiah, he would, he would you know, have his little flag, and he would be watching the five and six-year-old girls going, go, go, you can do it. And Micaiah was like, mm. And I'm like, Makai, I want you to focus on the line, right? You've got to pay attention to what the coach is saying. Well, we gave different plays fruit names, raspberry, lemon, apple. And you knew the play to make based on the fruit that was given. Well, one was a raspberry. And a raspberry was, you were the running back, you got the ball, and you just charged through the line and got as many yards as you possibly could. They're five and six. We had to give simple plays. Well, Micaiah was the running back. (laughs) He's just watching, right? Micaiah, pay attention. Quarterback gives him the ball. And he looks at that line. And he sees they're all running towards him. So at five years old, he made the best decision he could. (laughs) And he turned around. And he ran the other way. And he ran fast. 
And he wondered, why is no one catching me? Because the other team is happy, Micaiah. And I'm screaming, no, turn around, turn around. And he ran right into their goal. And everyone's, yeah, yeah. And Micaiah's like, yeah. You know, he wasn't even sure what he did. He scored for the other team. No, Micaiah, we've realized football is not your sport. But we also realize something else. You've got to listen to the coach's lead if you're going to be on the team. The first of three, I want you to write it down. Number one, here's what the coach says. Our unity wins the game. Our unity will win the game. That's what we talked about at Upstream. And Upstream at 930, this is an opportunity for us to talk about things that are happening in the world that the church usually does not talk about. Five people on a panel, we talked about unity in the church despite the differences of opinion. And so, here's our coach. Our unity wins the game. You see, for the believer... A goal is scored each time someone comes to Christ. It's why here at Coast Hills, when someone raises their hand and says, I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, we all clap. We're excited. We know what's happening in their life. We know that we've scored a goal. Yet, in order for a team to score, they got to be united. There can't be a star. There there can't be one player that everyone is dependent on. They've got to come together. They've got to be unified in order to win. And Jesus, he explains what unity looks like. Once again, we can't define what unity looks like. He describes it for us there in verse uh, 21. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Well, we need to define this, but we're going to let Jesus define it for us. Go back a couple of pages to John chapter 8. Go back with me to John chapter 8. I want us to see how Jesus defines being on the team and being unified. John chapter 8, verse 28. John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to him, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now stop there if you would just for a moment. Jesus says, I know the will of God. I know it well that I'm able to speak it. It's in my heart. It comes out of my mouth. I know the will of the Father, and I choose to do the will of the Father. This is the secret to being unified. The secret to being unified, I in him and you in me and uh, Father through you, they're in you. Listen, he says very clearly in John chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, is to know the will of God and to do the will of God. Gang, it's why we get together on church on Sundays. This is just a sending station. This is like Penn Station. We all meet here to go our different directions. We all meet here to understand where the train's going to take us so that we can go about and affect our world. We learn the will of God here at church. We learn the will of God in our life groups as we watch Fourth Point. We learn the will of God at Campus at Coast as I'm teaching through that book of Zechariah. 
We learn the will of God when my wife comes up and we have a Salem moment and a memory verse that we're all memorizing. I'm going to pick one person to tell me to Salem from last week. I'm kidding. Everyone's eyes went. (laughs) Listen, it's why we have campus at Coast, because we want to know the will of God so that we can do the will of God. And look at John chapter 8, verse 30. Look at the result. As he was saying these things, as he was speaking the word and living the word, many believed in him. Whew. I don't know about you, for you, that's great news. Because for the last two weeks, we've been learning about how people hate us, right? Because we stand for truth, they're going to hate you. They're going to come against you. They're going to persecute you. Finally, we learn today that some people are going to join the team. Finally, we learn today that there are going to be some that will join us and not hate us because we've chosen to learn the word and live the word. Paul describes this kind of unity Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. The Holy Spirit takes some time to further explain what our coach gave us as instruction. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Let's take a look on how we can be unified. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord. In other words, I'm in jail not because they put me in jail. I'm in jail because God has me in jail. What I love about Paul, he says even Roman soldiers are coming to Jesus. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's going to describe that calling in just a moment. Pay attention. I want you to walk that calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience. These are all the words that are like killing us. Bearing with one another in love. Here's the calling. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. Paul, he describes this prayer. He, he kind of breaks, puts some color to this prayer of how we can fulfill the calling of our coach. You see, we've been called to be unified because we are unified. He doesn't say, I want you to become one. No, listen to what he says eager to maintain the unity. In other words, because you're in Christ, you're unified. Whether you like it or not, it's kind of like some family members. Their family, whether you want them or not, you got to invite them to the wedding. You know there's two lists for a wedding, those you have to and those you want to. Usually the have-tos are aunt so-and-so, right? Or uncle first removed so-and-so, and you know they're going to do something, say something, but because they're family, you invite them. It's the same as the body. The body of Christ, we are one, and what Paul says is we've got to be eager to maintain that. You see, our birth in Christ, when we were born again, We were grafted into the family of God. And so Paul tells us, be humble. Be humble. Because one day you're going to make a mistake too. And we need to approach problems with the potential that you might actually be wrong. Husband, wife, listen, child, teenager, you might actually be wrong. And with a little bit of humility, you can walk into the conversation now, not to be right, but to understand the other perspective. He says, listen, 
with some gentleness. Fight against the tendency to get angry. Fight against the tendency to be frustrated or to be bitter or hurt or angry. He then says, be patient. This is the opportunity for us to choose to endure. It has the idea of running a marathon, that we're not going to give up, that we're going to do that 26.3 miles. If it kills us or not, we're going to cross that finish line. We will be patient to endure. And then the clincher, bearing with one another in love. This Greek word actually has the idea that you put someone on your back and you carry them. You actually put them on your back and you care. You find a place of compassion. Because love, love is the bond of perfection. And Jesus, he showed two enemies, a Samaritan and a Jew. And we know the story is the good Samaritan. And this enemy of the Jew chose to sacrifice himself instead of just walk by like everyone else did. Now, here's the fruit of this. The fruit of this is that people are going to look at us and be so astounded, so astounded that we're unified despite how different we are, despite our different race, despite our different ethnicity. They're going to see the church and they're going to be so amazed that a motorcycle leather-wearing Harley guy can be sitting down next to an 85-year-old diamond-wearing prim and proper lady with little high heels on and she's just walking like this and she sits down and she gives the big leather guy a big hug and his beard is all in her hair and it's like, what is going on? The church. The church. And though we're different, we love each other. Now, I'm going to make it super awkward. Look at the person next to you, and not your husband and wife. Look at the person next to you and go, I love you. (laughs) Come back, come back, stop. This is what you do. You love each other too much. Now, here's the deal. Don't strangle her. Love her, okay? Sayla, here's the deal. My daughter's strangling someone over. She's like, I love you so much. Here's the deal. That was awkward. I can't believe he just asked me to do that. Do it again. 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 No, this time, don't just say, I love you. Say something different, like, you look great today. Come on. Come on. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. You're sitting on an airplane. You're on a train. You're you're at a restaurant, and you look over, and they're praying. (gasps) Do I talk to them or not? They're reading the Bible. They must be Christians. Do I say anything? Do I not say anything? What do I do? They're family. They're family. Well, they look different than me. They got a different language going on. I don't know what's happening. I think she spoke in tongues. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. What do I do? They're family. They may look different. They may act different. They may dress different. Think of your own family, for goodness sakes. But we love each other. And the world looks on and goes, you guys are so different, so diversified, and I'm so amazed at how you love each other. And with that love, I want you to see what Paul says. Go down with me to verse 7. But the grace, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's 
give. You see, with the love that's been given, if you really love one another, you recognize, I've been given a gift. I've been given a responsibility, and I've got to do my part. Otherwise, the body is not completely loved. And all Paul is doing here is following the prayer of Christ. Go back with me to John 17. Let me show it to you. It's our second point. Each person must do their part. In order for the body to be fully loved, in order for the body to really understand the height and the width and the length and the depth of the love of Christ, each one of us have to play our part. Look at John 17, verse 22. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. When we were born again, we received the Spirit of Christ. And in John 16, we learned just a couple of weeks ago in verse 14, we learned that the Spirit's responsibility is to give glory to Christ. Paul described it in Colossians 1 as Christ in me, the hope of glory. The only way that I can give Christ glory is because of the Spirit of God that is within me. Well, Jesus describes for us what this glory is for us. Look back at verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You see, for Christ, the way that he gave God glory was he lived a sinless life and he died on a cross paying the price of our sin. That's how he gave him glory. For the believer, in view of the cross, we follow his example. We learn the will of God and we do what God has asked us to do both corporately and personally. Each one of us have a part to play. If we're going to win the game, if we're going to see people get saved, we've all got to play our part well as the body of Christ so that we can actually score some goals. This is the glory, that we know the will and that we choose to do it. Now, the beauty of this, the beauty of this is that he already sees us glorified, and that blows my mind because I know who Chetlow is. He already sees us glorified. I want to read this to you. It's in Romans. Listen as I read it for you. It's Romans chapter 8. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, if you're taking note, hope you are, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Those he glorified. You see, in other words, when Jesus looks at you and me, he sees the end product. He doesn't see what we did yesterday. He he sees the end product. We are glorified. And maybe we as the church, in order to be unified, maybe we as the church, we can follow the example of Christ and start seeing people the way he sees them. Instead of picking out all of their imperfections, maybe we look at who they're becoming. This might protect us from some of the bitterness we feel. It might protect us from some of the hurt or the anger. 
It might protect us from some of the unforgiveness that we walk through because instead of looking at the presenting problem of the person, we, like Jesus, will see them a little further down the road because Jesus isn't done with them. Now, there's a problem. You see, in the body of Christ, not everyone is living up to playing their part. Not everyone is participating in scoring of the goals. Some people are holding back their gifts. Some people aren't giving their gifts so that we can feel the full effect of the love of Jesus. Let me give you an example. My job is to preach. My job is to preach. Do you know some Sunday mornings, like I went to Turkey, right? I didn't sleep for about 10 days. When Sunday morning came at 2 a.m. for me, and I've got to get ready. I almost fell asleep last week on the pulpit. And I was up here. I don't know if you noticed. I said, turn to John. Boom, I almost went down. We were driving home from an event on Saturday. I don't know what happened. I passed out while I was driving. I just went, and I woke up. Thank God I didn't hit anything, right? Chet, don't drive. I know I'm going to get emails for that. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. Next time I'll drink coffee, even though I don't like coffee. But here's the deal. I know there's a responsibility that I have. And that responsibility is to offer my gift despite the way I feel about it. Despite if I'm nervous. Do you know what it is sometimes to teach in front of you guys? I'm going to take a picture of you right now. (laughs) Some of you still sleep. Do you know what it is when someone from the front row walks all the way out when I've said a point that I think offended them? I want to say, stop. What did I say? Come back. Do you have any idea that I'm just as afraid? Oh, look who's relatable. You see, when we all offer our gifts, maybe you've got the gift of mercy. Maybe you got the gift of administration. Maybe you have the gift of leadership. Maybe you have the gift of service. Maybe you have the gift of helps. And when we join our gifts together, oh, we look more like Jesus. As each one does their part, we begin to look more and more and more like Jesus. Look at John 17, verse 23. He describes it, I in them and you in me. So our relationship is through Jesus to the Father, that they may become, underline this, perfectly one. Perfectly one. You see, the way we look more like Jesus, he said it best, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst. Trust me. When I show up, you want my wife with me. I am an exhorter. I am, like if there was a Chet doll, right? If there was a little Chet doll, you know, and you press Chet's stomach, out of his mouth would come, you need to repent. That's just what flows out of me, okay? That's just what happens. If there was an Andrea doll, she's the gift of mercy. When you press her button, it would be, oh, you need a hug. Oh, you need a hug. Oh, you need a hug. I love you. You never gain weight. That's just, I mean, that is what would come out of my wife, the gift of mercy. Me, change your life. Me, repent. Me, that's your problem. Her, hmm, hmm. It's just who we are. 
so you don't ever want me by myself. Because when you have Andrea with me, guess what? You get the exhortation of Jesus, but you get the mercy of Jesus. And then if you add Zach, oh, you get the administration of Jesus. Well, here's how you will change. Step one, step two, step three, step four, (laughs) step five, step six. Zach, how many steps you got? I'm just kind of like, just change your life. Well, here's how you'll do it. He'll disciple you. And then you definitely want Adam a part of the picture. Adam will come in. He's got the gift of mercy. He's got the gift of love. He's got the gift of joy. He's got the, you can change. Come on, you can do it. He's like just a help servant. Get behind you, rally around. And here's Zach, step one, step two. Here's Chet, change your life. Here's Andrea. I love you. I really do. You put all of us together, and that's a picture of Jesus. Perfectly one. It's not just important what we do. It's important how we play the game as well. Look with me, if you would, at John 17, 23. Now, B, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. See, if you remember 17, 21, the world believes because of the word we preach. I, I actually asked you to underline it, but now I want you to underline something in 1723. Take a look. So that the world may know. You see, they'll believe as we see we act different. But when they come in contact with a Christian and they see how you're acting, they'll know God and his love. They've never seen God but they can experience him through you. Our faith is expressed through love. That's what Paul told the Galatian church. Faith, Galatians 5, 6, faith is expressed through love. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. If you have all faith so that you could remove mountains, but you have not love, it profits you nothing. You ever been around a mean Christian? It's like saying jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron, okay? It, 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 sh- it shouldn't exist. Contention. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel. There's a love that exists through our faith. Listen to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't have a whole bunch. He gave the best of what he had. You see, the kind of love that we're to express one to another is a sacrificial love, but Jesus knows something. Getting along with people is going to be hard. He knows offenses are gonna come. He even said offenses will come. He knows there's going to be those that just want to walk off the field and just want to quit. They've had enough. And that's why Paul says in Colossians, love is the bond of perfection. It holds us together so that we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of another. That's the example of Jesus. And though it's difficult, let me tell you something. It's better than bitterness. It's better than unforgiveness. It's better than argument. It's so exhausting to live in misery. He's trying to protect us by saying, swallow it, love them, 
be like me on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Choose to go my direction and at the end of your life, number three, I want you to write it down, the whole team receives the reward. Look with me at uh, John 17. We finish up here in verse 24. Father, listen to the desire of Jesus. I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Gang, those that believe go to heaven. Amen? Okay, one more time. Think about your big house. Don't think about your big house. Don't think about your car. Don't think about your bank account right now. Those that believe go to heaven. Wow, you guys are really excited. Much more excited than this side about going to heaven. I love it. Heaven. It's a matter of fact. He prayed it. He's praying the Father's will. We're all going to go to heaven for those that believe in Jesus Christ. Paul's so confident of this, he says this in Colossians. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Heaven. No more asphalt. Gold. No more cement for construction. Precious jewels. No more ironclad gates. Big old pearls. No more tears. No more sorrow, no more pain. Sounds like a great place. <laughs> Wisely, Adrian Rogers said this. A friend of mine gave me this this week. We pray harder to keep saved people out of heaven than unsaved people out of hell. Christians have forgotten what heaven is. Jesus goes, hey, I've done my work. I want to come home. I, 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 I want to be with you. Death becomes departure. But I want you to see the greatest part of heaven. I don't know if we missed it. Take a look with me. It's verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. I want them to be in heaven. To see my glory. Underline that. That you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. We get to watch for all of eternity the greatest love story ever told. We get to watch the Father and the Son love each other. For an eternity. Friday night, you ever been with your wife? She wants to watch a chick flick. I'm an action guy, thriller. She wants that watch. Well, she wants to watch a, chick, a drama show, right? Halfway through it, she looks over. Are you crying? You're crying. I am not crying at all. And all of a sudden, you're into this love story, and. Someone is like giving their life for this person and this person is loving on this person. It's all this love that's happened and they're crying, you're crying and your wife looks over you and ruins the moment. Are you crying? You're crying. You're into this. No action movie next week. We're doing another drama. We're doing Anna Green Gables for six weeks, okay? 
You guys, that's how I won my wife. For one year, she made me watch every episode of Anne of Green Gables. Seriously, every Friday night, that's what I had to do to win her over to show some form of sensitivity, right? Can you imagine watching heaven and watching this drama unfold? The tears that will flow as we see the beauty of a love story for eternity. He goes, I can't wait for them to see me love you. I can't wait for them to see you love me. This is going to be so great when they see real love for all of eternity. And with this in mind, Jesus says this, O righteous Father, even the world, though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you've sent me. I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. O righteous Father. Hey, guys, He now, with this thought of love in mind, says, Oh, righteous Father, because righteousness is best expressed through love. Our faith is best expressed through love. And the Father shows this love by sending his Son. Because let me tell you something. Love without righteousness, you can make some wrong decisions. Righteousness without love, you could become legalistic. But, oh, righteous Father, if you have set the example of love, now I'm going to send them out to be ambassadors of love. And as people watch them love each other, and as they watch them love the world, people are going to join the team. And they're going to want what we have because they don't have it. It's why there's so much division. It's why there's so much hate. It's time for the church to stand up and be unified together in a love for one another that the world looks on and goes, that's what I'm missing. 